Reboots, episode R043. Hey, episode 43, that is NASCAR Hall of Famer Richard Petty's number. Uh, stick with me here. This episode features a very cool young man I've known for a couple of years. And maybe you haven't heard his name yet, but if you're a fan of contemporary Christian music, I predict you're going to know who Dalton Lee Smith is very soon. And in this episode, Dalton Smith is going to share the story of a horrific traffic accident that nearly took his life. I mean, he was seriously run over by a semi-rig. And this accident connected him to his fiancée. It also connected him to a NASCAR medic who likely saved his life. And it ultimately led to a Nashville record deal. But that's not the wildest part, because Dalton was born two months prematurely, and he weighed just two pounds. And Dalton wasn't expected to live. And if he lived, he wasn't expected to walk or talk or have any sort of a normal life. And that part's true. His life is anything but average or normal. And here he is with a larger-than-life voice. He's sharing his experiences with a lot of different things. And in this conversation, he shares about childhood sexual abuse and the process of laying a stone of remembrance so that his past is no longer an encumbrance. And he gives us some backstage dish on how Big Daddy Weave and some renowned Nashville session musicians influenced Dalton Lee Smith's new Miracles LP. Hey there, you're dialed into Reboots, featuring stories about people who have been forced to start over in life or in business, all walks of life, anonymous or named, high profile or low down, stories with heart, soul, and grit. Because knowing and sharing our stories is essential for living a life of joy, experiencing healthy relationships, and impacting the world around us in a positive way. Here's your host, Tracy Winchell. Hey, Dalton, thanks for inviting us into your life today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're a busy guy. You write songs, you've got an album coming out soon, you're about to get married, and you're a college student. Kind of take me through what your life is like right now, kind of beyond that thumbnail sketch. Yeah, life is crazy right now. I'm a full-time college student getting a degree in audio engineering. I'm getting ready to have a house built actually this week. I'm getting married in June, June the 1st, to a wonderful woman. She is awesome and definitely a blessing. So just a lot going on. Yeah. Your story is pretty remarkable. We've talked in the, in the last year or so, and uh, I can't wait to share your story and, and watch it unfold. But first, I just kind of want to know where you share your story and why. You know, the biggest places I share my story is in churches, that's where my heart is. I definitely have a strong faith in, in Christ and what, what a relationship with Him is like. And so I'm um, just obviously that open door to tell people about His greatness in a way that doesn't uh, bring glory to myself is my heart. So people that can really, they can really know that, you know, He is still a miracle worker. Right. 
And I, I like to ask this question of my guests too. And in your case, it's probably not just one reboot, it's a series of reboots. So I'll let you choose which one you kind of want to start with. But was your reboot a moment, a coincidence, a choice, or a series of choices? I would definitely say a series of choices. Yeah. All right. Let's dive in, my brother. Let's do it. Typically, when I ask someone to share their story and to kind of talk a little bit about uh, where their reboot started, a lot of times that starts in childhood. With you, it kind of started right, like right at birth, didn't it? It did, yes. I was, I was there, but I don't remember that. Right. Um, but I was two pounds when I was born. I was born two months early. I'm born in Denver, Colorado, so I'm go Broncos, you know. <laughs> they said three things about me, and these are the first. I believe in my heart, like, this is when the Lord started working and Satan started fighting. I was told I would, wouldn't be able to walk. I would be in special education classes because of that. That because I went so long without oxygen, I would have learning disabilities. And the third thing that they said about me, and this is the first moment that I believed in the Lord in my life, is they said I would never have an ability to speak because my diaphragm didn't develop properly. And so through all of that, I remember being told by my grandmother who raised me and adopted me, my grandparents did, and we'll go into that. But I remember them talking about praying in the waiting room for me that I would live and that I would be okay. And so it was at that moment, I really believe that struggle started happening. And needless to say, I lived, I got through the week. They said I wouldn't get through. I got through the year. They said I wouldn't get, get through. And now this March, I'll be 27. Well, happy almost birthday, Dalton. So we're almost there. You know, the first time you shared this story with me, you then grabbed your guitar and sang me a song. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to try to make that happen here, and we just can't make the audio work out with the remote technology that we're using. And I hate that because it's dependent on me to try to share with our listeners what that experience was like for you to intro your life like that, that you would never speak because your diaphragm didn't develop. And so let's make no bones about it. You're, you're a little guy, but your voice is gigantic. I think that speaks, I hate to use the word miracle loosely, but it speaks to the miracle that you are, that not only that you can speak, but that you have this magnificent voice. God is definitely good. Um, I remember growing up, I was two years lugging around a plastic guitar and back then, you know, Garth Brooks was the th same thing on the scene. And I had long curly hair, a cowboy hat from Wranglers <laughs> and one of them black and white Garth Brooks looking checkered shirts. And just wanted to sing. I, I didn't care what I was singing. I just, that's what I wanted to do. Well, like how, when, when did somebody go, wait a minute, how does that big voice fit in that little body? How old were you when somebody started that you remember somebody telling you 
what's going on here? I was four. Mm-hmm. And I remember my mama and my dad. I remember them taking me in the car. And there's a Christian singer from the 80s and 90s named Carmen. Sure. And I remember them handing me a Carmen cassette tape. And we would drive around and I would just sing. And, you know, they fostered that in me. And then I had a Sunday school teacher who was one of the biggest influences in my life. His name's Bill Goodnight, um, rest his soul. But he was the first person I ever sang with. I was scared to death to go on stage. So they put me on a milk crate behind the pulpit, put me up there. And he stood next to me when I sang. And, you know, just those three people seeing that in me, obviously my parents who are made, but then Bill Goodnight, someone who wasn't related to me, um, who just validated that and really began a journey for me that is still going on today. Looking back, what are your thoughts about those memories and being that young and understanding that you're turning heads? I mean, you, you've got a very special talent, and I hope we can get some of your music infused into some of this if that would be okay absolutely um so that our listeners can can hear that but what are your thoughts now about that little boy who was beginning to understand the magnitude of this voice you have you know that's a double-edged sword those are some of my most fond memories um i look back going to teen talent expos as a kid in church and and doing like junior talent as a young child and just realizing that what the Lord had given me was different. And then there was also the side of it that while it's something to be proud of, you have to be careful to be too proud of it because, you know, that will become a pride thing. And so, you know, with the greatness of that, there's also the struggle of having that there because it's such a fine line between humility and pride that as a kid, you don't really know that. So you're just loud. And I was definitely that. Like I said, the doctor said I couldn't talk. And, you know, for a long time, people called it a blessing. But when I started to talk, some people started calling it a curse. <laughs> but my mom might actually say that. No, I'm just kidding. Um, she's my biggest, one of my biggest supporters. But it was beautiful to look back at that, especially now that my dad has passed away. And just those times that I had with my parents were really wonderful. And so losing a parent, especially at your young age, can't have been easy. And so we're still in your childhood. You're a miracle at birth and you've got a huge voice and yet life is still hard for you. Yeah, it's actually, you know, my grandparents were both living when I was a child and I actually, I didn't lose my parents to death. Um, My biological parents kind of went their own way after my sister was born after about a year. My biological mother um, was a drug addict. Um, My biological father um, was an alcoholic. Thankfully to this day, today, you know, he, he is doing well in his life and that's wonderful. I'm so proud of him. And my biological mother still has her struggles. So definitely a very real thing as a kid in school, you know, your parents are so much older than everybody. And that's something that you don't understand at that time. But I look back at that now as, as we're reflecting on those things. And, and I just, I thank God every day that had my grandparents, I was so much more blessed to have them because they were exactly the people to raise me. And I truly believe that without them, the things I'm doing today would not be going on. Yeah. Wow. How do you think all of this is impacting your music? Because in my heart, I'm running. 
this first album that's coming out February 21st is something that I wrote through a lot of that hurt and a lot of that pain from. And so it's just kind of the reflection of my life and the journey I've been on to this point because I really had to write through that to process. And, you know, I've got a second album will be coming out in the near distant future after this one. And, you know, I plan on that being a worship album, but I had to really self-reflect on the journey that I've been on to day one to the first album. How long have you been writing the the tracks that are on this album? And did you write all of the music? Yeah, all the music on it. There's one song that I co-wrote with Mike Weaver from Big Daddy Weave. But everything I wrote, the, there's one song that is from my teenage years. Um, and that would have been 2008, I wrote God Alone. And that would be the first song. And it was the first song I recorded back then on an unreleased version that the world will never hear. But that song and then everything up till today, a lot of it after the wreck, I wrote my victory about the wreck. And, you know, I wrote home about a time when I made choices in my life that were poor. And, you know, I just had to run back to Jesus. And so th- this album is truly 11 years in the making. Any plans I may have So I dwell here in your presence, God Longing for you to come I'm singing to you, oh God I long for Okay, so you, you just sort of happened to mention two huge things and we're going to tackle these things separately. The wreck. What's the wreck all about? I was rear-ended by a semi-truck. February 21st of 2018 um, over the Arkansas River oh, wow. Bridge. That almost took my life. And we can- uh, Again? Wow. We can tackle that. Yeah, let's go there. Yeah, let's go there. I think first, it'll be important to mention some things that are previous to that for that story to have its meaning. The first thing is a kid um, went through some things that were really difficult that even now I'm just now dealing with those things. Um, and I've never spoken publicly about this. Um, but I had a, a, a male relative sexually abuse me as a mm. child. I'm so sorry. And that was so tough. Lived with us. And I, I didn't say anything to my parents until after I was an adult mm. um, and hid that for a long time. Um, lived in that isolation because I thought that was okay. Mm just so that I wouldn't have to deal with those, you know, those problems. And the Lord's been really dealing with me about being open about that because people need to hear that. I'm very sorry. That should never, ever have happened to you, Dalton. And it definitely affected me. And I found a lot of peace in music because of that. And I think everybody at some place and at some point That's the beauty of song is it has the power to literally move the deepest parts of someone's soul. Um, And there are a lot of times it's more effective than just our words. And so as a kid, I remember finding peace in these songs and singing about a God who is loving and who is faithful and who is caring. And that truly, that really carried me through that time in my life. Every piece of me 
what was the song that helped you most through that period of, uh, of abuse and then the aftermath? Is there one song that kind of resonated most with you or even today? Yeah. Um, one would be I Surrender All by Clay Cross. Mm. Um, I remember singing that song on Wow Worship 1998. And shout out to Clay, who's a friend of mine now. And got to kind of share my love of that song with him. Um, that song brought me a lot of peace. And then also a song called Heaven to Earth by a guy named Michael English. First song I sang in Teen Talent. So I just always would sing that. So tell me more about either one of these songs, just the, the words and, and the importance to you. Do the words talk about not guilty or what? No, I love... I love I Surrender All. I think that's a, a really powerful song. And um, as we are doing this interview here, I'm going to pull up the words to that because I think it's definitely worth mentioning. Yeah, you know, it says, I, I have wrestled in the darkness of this lonely pilgrim ran, ra- raising strong and mighty fortresses that I alone command. But these castles I've constructed by the strength of my own hand are just temporary kingdoms on foundations made of sand. And I love that because... Um, I had to realize that in my mind, everything that I was doing, even as a young child, especially today, I really understand this more than I really ever have in my life. But everything that happens, even that abuse and that problem, and I, I have to remind myself to, of that to this day um, as I still process what that time meant. But there's a point we've got to be willing to lay that stuff down. And that's so easily said, you know, and then the course of this song says, I surrender all. And I think that's something that the church just that first phrase really blows up. You know, it's easy to sing that. I I surrender all all my silent hopes and dreams. And though the price to follow may cost me everything, you know, we've got to be willing, no matter what we've dealt with or been through, to let go of those things. And that's something that just being real, I think we all struggle with. Absolutely. I know I do. And I just remember as a kid having to realize that it wasn't my fault and processing with that. It wasn't until... Um, my later adolescent years that I began to really struggle. And that's kind of, you know, that's kind of where the next part of my story goes, because when you ignore something for too long, um, it begins to create issues there, surface issues when you don't deal with them. And I very literally had to understand the meaning of this song because I I like to learn the hard way. (laughs) Don't we all? All right. So it sounds like in the words to that song, maybe there's, this wrestling with forgiveness kind of bundled up in all of that. Mm-hmm. Who is or has been the hardest to forgive in that situation yourself for nothing that you've done, but blaming yourself perhaps or the perpetrator? I think that, you know, the toughest thing in that to mix to both of those things, because I haven't seen him in so long. I've seen him once in many, many years because of a funeral. And, and that's okay. You know, Right. And it's okay. Yeah. You know, there's a song by a group called We're Messengers that says, maybe it's okay if I'm not okay, but the one who holds the world is holding on to me. Yep. And I love that song. And and so I think it's kind of that wrestle with yourself. Yep. And obviously I've had anger towards him, but for me, it's knowing that I didn't say anything or speak up about it because I was a child. And who I really feel bad for is my mama who didn't know until years and years and years later after I'm an adult that this stuff had happened because she's a wonderful mother was never her fault. 
I didn't notice anything because when somebody tells you things, you believe that. But, you know, I think that's, that's a daily thing there, that struggle. I think that can go both ways. It is, isn't it? Yeah. It is. You know, there are days when you don't think about it, and then there are days when it's a struggle, and sometimes you don't even realize that's the struggle of the day. You think it's something else, right? That's right. So what advice or encouragement would you have for someone who is wrestling with this right now? How to kind of begin the process of coming to terms if you're an abuse victim? I think the first thing that anyone needs to realize in that situation is, is that they are not guilty. I think that's so important. Yes. I have to be reminded of that. I'm thankful that I have a woman in my life who loves me and reminds me of that and that you are enough um, no matter what you've been through. And the second thing that I would remind them of is somebody told me this, a, a mentor in my life, and it will stick with me for the rest of my life. But it says, he told me, he said, Dalton, bitterness doesn't come from their heart. It comes from your own. And if you allow yourself to be in that bitterness trap, I mean, it, it takes a lot to get out of that. So realize that those that have hurt you are not hurting because you're hurting. And don't allow them to hold captive who you are or the freedom that, that Christ has for you later on. Yeah. And forgiveness is more of a process than a moment. And that, that process doesn't require restoration of a relationship, does it? That's right. You know, there's a fine line between forgiving someone and being their best friend. Yep. And I think that's something that is so mistaught today. I can say that I forgive him today wholeheartedly. I hate what happened, and it's okay to be upset because there's a difference between being upset and holding on to the offense. And so I just encourage you, if that's something you're dealing with and you're hearing this, you know, let go of that and allow yourself to walk in that. And there'll be days that are good. There'll be days that are bad and there'll be days that are in between, but know that the Lord is working out that process in your life. Yeah. Dalton, thank you for sharing that with me. And now I want to try to back up into, we kind of came off here from talking about the album and the words and the lyrics. And you just kind of threw out there that you wrote a song with Big Daddy Weave. Uh, hello, let's talk about that now. Yeah. Because that's awesome. I got introduced to Mike Weaver um, this last year in 2018 in Fort Smith. And we connected and just got to telling him my story and what had happened. And um, we just really bonded. And he has been an awesome example to me and a wonderful mentor now, uh, just a great friend. I was at home one night, had my guitar out, and we we're using the app Marco Polo. We'll communicate there or FaceTime typically. Mm, cool. And so we're Marco Poloing, and I'm like, hey, I'm working on this song, but I need another verse. And so he's like, okay, try this. So he voice records like a click so we can kind of get a tempo. Got that on my cell phone. I've got Marco Polo on the iPad. And so we're bouncing ideas back and forth. And that song is called Home. Cause in my heart I'm running to a place that I call home. And we kind of worked on the melodic arrangement and he wrote the second verse in the song. And so it was super cool to take that to Nashville and record it. And my piano player's name was a gentleman named Gordon Moat. And he most notably has played with a Gaither vocal group and he is blind. 
and just an amazing man. His story is incredible. And he played piano on a song and he said, yeah, I know Mike Weaver. He's a real cool cat. He said, I played piano for him many times and just people have a lot of wonderful things to say about him. And so just a, a neat thing to be a part of. I've been singing wow. since I was eight years old. All right. That's amazing. Now let's kind of unpack you getting the news that you were going to go to to Nashville and record with some of these incredible session musicians. How did that happen? Well, everything, honestly, everything happened after the accident that I had. None of this would have happened had that accident not happened. And so I get connected with Studio 221 in Fort Smith, Arkansas. Big right. shout out to them. Wonderful people. And yep. Inner song competition. Did not win that competition. I was the runner-up that year. And a few months later, I went back and said, hey, I want to record some things. want to see how that works. And I did. And they had gotten connected with a label called the Fellowship Music Label. And I was approached and said, hey, we want to sign you. Was recording some music the night or the morning of my accident. When I left the studio. And... I remember Dan Hill, the owner of the studio, telling me, hey, you know, you guys be careful tonight. You know, he said that he had just a feeling, well, that night, think nothing of it, got home, everything was fine, and woke up that morning, and it was the morning that Billy Graham had passed away. And I remember just posting this montage on Facebook about what a wonderful life he had lived, what an example he has been. And I never would have thought that that morning Tracy, that my own life would have been hanging in the balance, um, that all the things to come down the line with, with recording would have happened because of something so terrible. But about 8.45 that morning, I was in the right-hand lane of I-540, heading towards Van Buren, Arkansas from Fort Smith, so that would have been northbound. And my vehicle stalled out on the bridge there in the right-hand lane. Oh, no. And... I remember I grabbed my phone and got help on the way and I, I wanted to take off my seatbelt, but you know, sometimes your cell phone cases can be real cantankerous in your pocket when you're trying to maneuver them. I was in a Kia Soul. So, I mean, I had some room, but not a lot of room. And so I grabbed my phone and something told me that morning, um, which I know is the Lord, don't take off your seatbelt. So I didn't, I looked behind me as I'm getting ready to, you know, let people know that, Hey, I'm okay. I've got help on the way. Saw a semi truck about a quarter of a mile behind me. Said, hey, he's got plenty of time to stop. Everybody else is going around me. Had my phone on. Everything was great. And I remember looking back up from my phone and into the rearview mirror, and I realized that truck wasn't going to stop. I knew it. Knew it in my heart of hearts. And the last words out of my mouth were, okay, Lord, I'll see you in a minute. And um, that's when he hit me. Mm. He drugged me 250 to 300. I'm thankful that he didn't take me to the right had he drug me to the right, I would have wound up in the Arkansas River. That is a swimming trip I did not want to go on. And he wound up taking me to the left. How things didn't explode. I didn't get turned over. I mean, all these things uh, was only the Lord. So I wound up stopped there. This this is the part that I don't remember because when you get hit by a you don't remember much. And it definitely knocks you out. Um, so word of advice to our listeners, don't get hit by a semi-truck. Don't recommend that. Right. Yeah. And don't take a swim in the Arkansas River under any circumstances. No, I would not. I would not dare. 
The first lady to me that day, her name was Fallon Hobbs, and this has actually been recounted to me by her, and you'll know why in a moment. But she was the first person to me, and apparently I woke up, but I don't remember this. And she said, hi, my name's Fallon Hobbs. You've been in an accident. And I told her, yeah, I know you should probably get off of this bridge. And her and her daughter were there that day. And the amazing thing about this woman being there is I had not met uh, my wife-to-be at this point. Um, And it turns out that this is my wife-to-be's cousin. Uh, did not know that, um, which I think is amazing how the Lord puts people there. And she had texted my fiance and said, Hey, you need to pray for this guy that was involved in this accident today. And so I think it's just pretty powerful that she had been praying for me well before I met her. And, you know, that's some Nicholas Sparks kind of stuff. Yeah. And so definitely just, you know, just really amazed by that and how, how God puts things into play after I was able to meet Fallon. And the next thing, the next person that was there that day was a NASCAR medic. <laughs> and he had NASCAR. I can't even make that up. I'm, I know it's beautiful. Um, it gets better. I feel like Steven Spielberg with this script. But <laughs> he was a NASCAR medic and he had NASCAR Jaws of Life in his truck that day. What? Yeah, it was amazing. Thank the Lord. And he was not supposed to be there. He had taken a wrong, he had taken a wrong turn up at Kelly Highway and had to turn back around. And had he not taken that turn, he would have never been there that day. And he was able to get his jaws of life out of his vehicle. And he was able to get me out of the vehicle and get me where I was solid before paramedics even arrived. And they'd recognized due to my vitals that I had I'd had a brain bleed. And so it was just amazing how the Lord put those people in play. Wow. Well, then what happened? Don't leave me hanging, brother. Okay. So <laughs> the next part of the story, it's not so pleasant for me. Um, it's funny. I get to tell this story to everybody and, you know, you guys love it. No, I mean, it's just a cliffhanger time. I mean, this is crazy. So the paramedics get to me and they wind up taking me to, they wind up taking me to Mercy Hospital in Fort Smith. They did MRIs, CAT scans, x-rays, you name it. I'm sure I probably went through the machine that day and saw that I had a major brain bleed in the frontal lobe of my brain and knew that if they didn't get me out of there, that I was going to die. They didn't have an in-house neurologist there at the time. I had five skull fractures, um, bruises, brain bleeding, and then other issues that we didn't discover until later, but those are not of note. Um, so they put me on an airplane. They were getting ready for a Metaflight because we couldn't do a helicopter that day. And I remember the people that were at the hospital that day. I remember waking up and freaking out and tried to rip the neck brace off. And the doctor grabbed me and said, if you don't stop, you're going to be dead in an hour. And that's a pretty surreal thing to hear at 25 years of age at the time that, hey, you're dying and we need to try and stop it. Where did they e- air evac you? They evac me to St. Vincent in Little Rock. Okay. And so just just something that was mind-blowing, that the people that were there, I remember having to tell them goodbye, and they were told, hey, you need to say goodbye to him because he may not make it to Little Rock. You know, that's such a real thing. And you remember that? I remember that, yes. Wow. And I think 
this is something where I have to interject this. You know, there are days that we're so arrogant about our lives and that we have another day and you don't know, you know, and if, if you're dealing, and I think this goes back to what we talked about earlier, Tracy, if you're dealing with unforgiveness towards people or things in your life that you're struggling with, or you're just not getting along with your, your parents or your spouse or your children, remember, always say, I love you to them because you never know if that's the last time you're going to get to do that. And that day, as I looked at people that I cared about dearly and said, hey, I, I love you and talking to my mama on the phone, not knowing that, that I would ever see her face again is a very humbling experience and definitely makes you appreciate life. Mm. And so they met a flat me to Little Rock from there and they're able to get me a drug that stops the brain bleeding. And my neurologist was one of the few people in the state that actually was able to administer this and and treat that way. And he was just a godsend, excellent, excellent neurologist. And they were able to get that stopped in time. And ultimately due to the, due to the action of some amazing people, uh, my life was saved. Wow. All right. So how in all of this did you end up meeting your fiance? So I'm going through my recovery time. I, I had to learn how to walk again. That's not a pleasant experience. It was really trying for me emotionally because I'm a young guy and I'm not saying that I'm a, some stud wide receiver in football, you know, but like, I like to be active and out and about. And so I've been doing that. And during this time, I'm still playing music. I was sitting on a stool so that I could, cause I couldn't stand. I walked with a cane and I was at a rally at her brother's church where I was leading worship. And that's where we met and just started talking and was not an immediate thing. I remember the, the first words that she ever said to me, and she didn't even speak directly to me. She was talking to her friend who had come up to me and said, hey, you need some female singers in your group. And all Tiffany would say is, come on, Casey, let's go. I'm hungry. And so how, how many weeks out of away from the wreck are you, and where are we spatially? Um, are we back in Fort Smith? Yeah, we're no this. Well, yeah, we're back in the, this area. This was actually in Van Buren, where we okay. met a few months after the accident. Okay, but you're still in physical therapy and still trying to recover from a really bad accident. Okay, correct. Yeah, I was definitely very much. Um, I mean, I can hardly move sometimes. I was so sore; it was terrible. All right, so you see her at church, and she ain't even talking to you because she's hungry, and she has something to say about your band. Right. So she exits. So I added her on Facebook and she messaged me and said, Hey, you did awesome tonight. So we talked there for a little while and we met up one night and we were driving around. She was driving cause I'm not, wasn't allowed to drive at that time, like medically. And then also my vehicle had been smashed into a billion bits by a semi truck. Right. So I remember telling her, you know, like I really have feelings for you. And basically that's what I said. And, you know, we have a lot in common. We're both in ministry. And she said, no, nah, I really don't see you that way. So we're in a car driving shortly over the border of Oklahoma. And I feel like a moron because I have confessed my undying feelings to someone in a vehicle that I'm 30 miles away from where my location is. So it makes for a pretty awkward car ride. So get back and, I didn't talk to her much after that, just, you know, sparingly. And finally, I got a text message from her while I was in Nashville, Tennessee for the first time. Okay, so what are you doing in Nashville? Because you're not recording yet, right? You're just visiting some people? 
No, I actually was, I was recording Okay. just to, to make sense of that in March, I went ahead and signed the recording contract, even though I was unable at the time to fulfill those duties yet. It wasn't until much later that I, I would say probably August that I really picked that back up. Okay. And so this in August, I'm in Nashville, Tennessee, and I got a text from her and she was like, Hey, I finally realized you've been right in front of me all along. And so that's kind of where things went. She definitely played the hard to get card. <laughs> so it was, it was definitely, um, definitely a God thing. And he set it up the way that it needed to be set up. And, and so I'm there and I'd been offered a, a record deal by another company at that point that I'm not allowed to speak on that, but wound up not signing that contract and remained where I was and came home and went back to the drawing board. Uh, Tiff and I are together and, we go back to the drawing board and I, they asked me, Hey, what do you want to do? And I said, I really need to get an album out in Nashville. I'd started to get connected with big daddy. Weave. I'd sang in concert with him a few times, sang redeemed with him, which was a really amazing experience. And yeah, bet. so just wanted that legitimacy of having artists there. And so that leads us up to the point that I'm in Nashville playing with all these amazing session players. That's what led me up to that point. And so when it came time to actually record the album, what, I mean, you've been writing for years and years and years, especially for a young guy. And what was that process like to choose the songs and then even maybe audition some other songs that someone else wrote? Walk, walk me through that creative process. Cause I think that's fascinating. I actually never attempted to record a song that I did not write. And that's something okay. that I can say to this day. I think it's very important that songs are our story. And I believe the Lord gives them to us from him as pieces of who we are. And I think they have to be shared because I think that's what uplifts people. And so as I, as I wrote this album, I mean, it started back from, um, a time many, many moons ago where I really wasn't making good choices. I actually spent a short time going through some rehab myself, which was a wonderful thing for me. It really did um, bless my life to just take that time and focus on what I needed to do as a young man. Um, it was so important. And I wrote a song there. This whole album started because of a song called Broken. The song just says, um, I'll be no one if that makes you someone so the world will see your light in me. And I'll be undone if you'll be the one who puts these broken pieces back in me. I am broken. I'll be the one if that makes you so one. So the world will see your life in me. And I'll be undone if you'll be. can't ever truly be used by the Lord until you get to a place that you're broken. Sounds like a recovery song to me, my brother. It is. Very Twelve much. Steps and Beatitudes, man. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. All right, so how many songs are on, on your new album? You've written all of them, which is amazing, especially for a, a guy so young. This first album, there are ten tracks on this first album. 
and just super excited. Got to work with some amazing people in Nashville. Um, my drummer's name was Miles McPherson. He, he's been Kelly Clarkson's drummer for probably 12 years now. My guitar player's name was Derek Wells. He was Josh Turner's guitar player for many oh, wow. years. And yeah, and super, super cool guy. A gentleman named Larry Beard, who he produced Rascal Flats, um, God Bless mm-hmm. a Broken Road, and is one of the best acoustic guitar players in Nashville. He played acoustic guitar, and that was awesome. And, and just a whole Gordon Moat, who, you know, he plays piano better than people who can act. And he just amazes me. And we even had for one song, Fort Smith's own Evan Hutchings, which is Pastor Don Hutchings' son. He played on one song on the album because Miles wasn't able to be there. So just an amazing collection of amazing artists there to be a part of that album. Mm. All right. What's the title of the album that comes out in February? The title of the album is called Miracles. And there's a song on the album called Miracles. And I truly believe that sums up everything that's happened just from the time that I was born to the abuse that I went through as a, as a child. And then the decisions I made as a young man that were poor to the place that the Lord saved my life in a miraculous way. Um, all of it is a miracle. And ultimately I would be so selfish to take credit for anything that's happened because ultimately he has had glory in that. And that's super important to me. Our society talks a lot about miracles, miracles on the football field, baseball diamonds. We use that word loosely. What is, what does miracle mean to you, especially in the context of, of this album? I think as a society, we've lost track of who we are because we so loosely title something without thinking about the impact of that. To use as an example, the word love is used so carelessly anymore to the point that people don't even understand what real love is because it's been so misbranded. And I think even more so for the word miracle, um, or miracles, because people think that that's something that is fairy ish that those things don't happen, when in reality, when you walk outside and you look around, you're literally staring at a miracle. And so to me, miracle literally means um, a situation that is above our cause or being that gives us freedom and gives us a deliverance where we would otherwise would have never had any deliverance. That day on that bridge, Tracy, who I was didn't matter. What I had didn't matter. The things that I owned, the car that I drove, my titles and positions, none of those things mattered in the scheme of my eternity. Mm. It was my relationship to Christ. And because I wasn't strong enough and because I wasn't big enough to stop that truck that day, I had to rely upon a Lord that is so much greater than I am in order to receive that. And I think for people out there today, in order for them to truly understand that, because that's what that means to me, but for them to understand what that means to them, they have to see that it, when it's beyond your control and there's no way out, he is the one who will make a way out. And to me, that that's a miracle. You're like medically a miracle times two. Is that a fair assessment? I, I would agree with that. Yeah. And then emotionally and spiritually, that's kind of a miracle too, even though you're the first to say that the abuse thing is not something that you can ever say, I'm 100% past that. It's always going to be with you. You just 
now have this process, right? So is that a miracle too? Yeah, I believe that. You know, if you look at the Old Testament, Tracy, when the people of Israel were wandering around the wilderness, it said they wandered there for 40 years. And the Lord said, look, you've been wandering around this mountain long enough. And an 11-day journey took them 40 years. And when, when they exited that wilderness, I remember it saying that they laid up stones of remembrance. And I think this is so cool because the Lord doesn't want you to forget or act like that never happened. It's that there's a time that you have to lay that stone of remembrance and you've got to keep on walking. And there are times that you're going to look back at that. It will always be a part of who you are because at the end of the day, it's your scars that mold you into the person that you are and refine you. And sometimes that's very hard. But when you look back at that or when I look back at things in my life, I'm able to say, hey, that was really tough. But look at where the Lord has brought me from. And I think that's the distraction of the enemy of our minds, because I believe that's very much where we're conflicted. I think it's amazing that it's all about perspective. We can look back and say, hey, you know, look at where the Lord has brought me from. And every amazing thing that I have been able to be a part of this year, the last year of my life has been because of the things that have gone before me. And so I just encourage those that have gone through things, lay a stone of remembrance be at peace with that, but know that you don't have to wander in that wilderness of self-worth and that wilderness of depression. You don't have to do that. And there's a point that that becomes a choice. All right. So how would I lay a stone of remembrance? Walk me through what that looks like, because that sounds very intriguing. It sounds like a song, but it also sounds like a way to deal with something. Walk me through what that looks like. Yeah, I think there's a place, you know, whatever that is for you, whether it's you write a letter to to someone that's hurt you or, um, you know, you go to their graveside or you call them and say, I forgive you, whatever, whatever that looks like in whatever way that you can. It is, it's something that can be a very intimate thing between you and the Lord, but it can also be something that you confront directly with those that have hurt you in your life. And I, tr- I truly believe that going through that process of saying, hey, it's okay, I forgive you. And truly meaning that in a place that you can move on, you know, I believe at that moment you lay it down and you keep moving. It doesn't mean you don't have days that you remember and that, that that's tough, but it's knowing that you're healing and that you're okay. And you're no longer in that bondage of what happened before you, you start embracing the future that awaits you. Mm, that is, that's awesome. A couple of quick questions just about creativity. Do you have a thing that you do every single day in terms of spiritual development or songwriting or anything like that? Is there just this creative habit that you just have to do every day? Otherwise, your day is kind of a mess. This is funny. Actually, that's a great question. I play drums. And since I was about, oh, six years old, I just beat on everything. And I sing in my head. I mean, I'll, I'll beat, you can hear that. I'll beat on my chest or, you know, I'll beat on the desk and I'll sing things or I'll come up with melodies and I'll just stop wherever I'm at or whatever I'm doing. I'm like, hold on, hold the phone. I've got to write this down. I was in a worship rehearsal one day and I was like, you guys are going to have to wait a few minutes. I got to write something down. Be patient with me. And so I just consistently sing things to myself. And then when I am writing, if I'm in that period, because it's times for me, 
there'll be weeks on end that I won't listen to anything like on the radio or in my room because like, I don't want to like write something that sounds like Jesus culture mm. or Chris Tomlin. Although I would not mind to write something as great as Chris Tomlin has written would not hurt uh, my feelings. Yeah. Yeah. So I just kind of do those things to, to zone myself out. And the other thing is, is I like to be alone most of the time when I'm, when I'm writing things or in a room where people are just quiet mm because it's a very intimate thing. You know, I call it downloading. You know how you'll download something from Apple sure. Music? You download it off your brain, huh? Yeah, it's like from the Lord. The Lord like downloads it into your to your mind and into your mm-hmm. spirit. And so I think that's a very intimate thing when you write those things. How do you capture it? Do you put it on your phone or do you have, have a notebook? I have my iPhone, my trusty iPhone. You know, they used to say on Blue's Clues, my handy dandy notebook. I have a handy dandy iPhone, iPad, okay. MacBook. Awesome. And I'll put things in there and then do voice memos. I mean, sometimes Facebook Live videos. I'll just get on Facebook Live and go. Really? Yeah, just do that sometimes. And then just kind of get feedback to see. You get kind of almost instant feedback, don't you, huh? Yeah, what's cool is is people will be like, who sings that song? And I'm like, ha. Uh, Nobody yet. Nobody yet. (laughs) (laughs) That is so cool. Dalton, is there anything else that, that, you know, we've kind of run the gamut here miracles in your life and recording contracts and near-death experiences and almost not even living experiences. Is there anything else that um, we need to kind of wring out of this conversation for our friends who are listening? Um, I think the biggest way to sum all of that up is don't live as though tomorrow is guaranteed. That would be the last thing I say. Don't, Don't live your life as though tomorrow is a given hug people that you love and tell you, tell them you love them. Call that relative you haven't talked to in many years and reconcile with those you haven't because ultimately you'll find peace in that. And um, if you don't make those choices, you'll regret the days you didn't. Mm. And So live with that um, because I truly believe that's a place that you'll find peace that knowing you don't have to be okay, but you know someone who can heal you and bring you to, to a place of functionality where things are moving again. And life comes again, and it's a day-by-day thing. So just always remember that. Um, it's something at a young age that I have learned the hard way, but um, Romans eight twenty eight is very clear that he's working all things out for our good, for those who love God and for those who are called according to his purpose. And so I would definitely leave all of your wonderful listeners with that. You are wise beyond your years. All right, last question. We're in mid-January. Your album comes out in February where does somebody find your music once the that album is ready to go and released? Yeah, February 21st, the album comes out. You can find it on iTunes, Apple Music, Amazon, Google Play, on online outlets. You can find me on Facebook, Adult Me Smith. Go check that out. You can find me on Instagram. Um, I'm actually getting ready to launch an Instagram, so it'll be Dalton Lee Smith Music on Instagram. And you can find me at daltonleesmith.com. So go check it out and definitely just hear the story of that. You'll The tracks are in such an order in the album that you'll hear the progression of the story based upon the way that they're written. So they have an order for a reason. And so just go check that out um, and let me know what you think. I definitely would appreciate all that. Awesome. Thank you, my brother. Thank you so much. For more about Dalton's music, check out his website, daltonleesmith.com. We're going to have a link to his site in the show notes, as well as ways to connect with Dalton on social media. 
Now, the show notes are at rebootspodcast.com forward slash episode four three. Hey, and do you want to do us a solid or really any of your favorite podcasts? Head on over to iTunes and post just an honest review. Give us some feedback. We really appreciate the opportunity to make decisions about the kinds of topics and stories that you want to hear and maybe the stuff you're not interested in. And it also helps others find our podcast and our episodes easier. It's super easy for you to access Reboots in the iTunes store. Just go to rebootspodcast.com forward slash iTunes. Hey, I'm Tracy Winchell. We'll see you next time. Deo Valente. We hope this episode has helped you in some way. If so, we'd love to hear from you. Maybe someone you care about might benefit from the Reboots Podcast. It's easy to share from our website, rebootspodcast.com. The Reboots Podcast is a production of Winchell Storyworks Incorporated, a company dedicated to helping businesses and individuals know, share, and live their stories in order to impact the world around us in a positive way and to achieve financial freedom.